0: Father, we come to you this morning recognizing that you are good. The psalm that we looked at this morning declares that, and we declare with the psalmist, we just shouted out all the things that we can attribute to you, ways that you have blessed us, ways that you have worked salvation and redemption into our lives, giving us things that we do not deserve. We declare of you that we have experienced, we have tasted, and we have seen that you are good. Father, together this morning, not just from the proclamation and the reading of your word, but in our own lives, we can see that your steadfast love endures forever. Your faithfulness endures to all generations. So we give you thanks for those things this morning. We declare them. Father, we need to be reminded of them and there's people likely here with us gathered this morning and they're hearing that for the first time. You are good. You are faithful. You love us. And Father, so much of what we see in scriptures, in our lives of you, we can't say of ourselves. Father, we can't truly say that we are good as you are good. Father, this morning, we, if we're honest, we want to be, we say together, we've sinned against you. We've not been faithful towards you. We've not loved you in the way that you deserve and In the way that you've demanded of us. We confess that to you right now. Father, help us not to fall into the same trite description of what so many people would ascribe to Christians and Christianity that we are hypocrites, that we've got it all figured out, or at least we think we do. Father, help us to be humble. Help us to know the truth of the gospel, that we are sinful people, each and every one of us, from the oldest to the youngest, regardless of the color of our skin, of our background, how much money we have in the bank. Father, each of us has sinned against you. None of us are worthy of your love, and you extend that to us. We admit our fallen nature to you. We admit our sin to you. Father, help us to even think about that now generally and specifically, the ways that we've failed you. Father, help us to boldly and confidently come into your throne to confess, the throne room to confess these things, claiming not our own righteousness, not our own perfection, but Jesus' perfection and Jesus' righteousness, which covers us. Father, we do come boldly this morning Not in presumption on our own worthiness, but we come here because of Christ and his perfect sacrifice, his perfect obedience, we claim. And Father, we claim in your presence on behalf of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, for others. Father, we think of all the great needs that we have, and we'll list a few. Father, this morning we know that this city needs wisdom. Father, we, we pray for the city council, those members that have been elected. Father, we pray that you would give them supernatural humility. Father, not that they would be devastated in some way and be unable to act, but that you would humble them, that they would see your greatness, that they would see your wisdom, and that they would bow the knee before Jesus Christ, and they would do so now and not at the end, but from now until then. Father, we pray that they would look to you for wisdom. And in that way, Father, we pray that you'd bring blessing upon the city. We pray that you'd bring blessing upon your people through their care. Father, we pray for those who can't gather with us this morning. There's some that are sick, some that maybe have a cold, and others who are shut in, unable to get out. Father, this morning we think of Larry and Sharon. Father, we know that they want to be here this morning. They're unable to come and join us. Father, we pray that your healing power would touch them right now. Father, we pray that your presence would be near to them even though we sense it so much greater and more easily in the presence of your people gathered together where your word is preached and the songs of the saints are sung. But Father, we pray that you'd give them that same strength right now even as they're apart from us. We pray that your, your Holy Spirit would give them the strength that they need to endure to the end to be faithful even though they can't gather with us. Father, help us not to forget them. Help us not to forget the ones that are unable to be here with us and help us to lift them up. Father, we pray for those who have gone out from us. We think of Abby and Spencer and what they're preparing to do. Father, we pray that you would continue to give them the strength that they need, that your Holy Spirit would come alongside of them and would encourage them. Father, more than that, we pray that you would meet the needs that they have Father, they believe that you have called them to do a great work and there is a great need in order to get them where they need to be. And we pray that you would continue to use this body to provide for them. Father, they're going to the other side of the world. We know that you can surely meet their needs and sustain them. From the other side of the world to just down the street, Father, we think of the Bridge of Life Church. Father, we think of the pastor there, Justin Perot. God, we pray that your spirit would give them the same provision that they need this morning. Father, we pray for the unity that you promised. We pray that it'd be realized even more to a greater degree just a few blocks from here as that body of saints gathers. Father, we pray that as your word is opened, we pray that the church would be encouraged in general and specific, direct and indirect, in gentle and firm ways, Father, positively and negatively. We pray that they would be exhorted. We pray that this would take place in physical and in spiritual ways. Father, we think of our own selves this morning, not selfishly, but humbly. We ask that we, your people, the sheep of your pasture, would receive the things that we've asked. We pray that as we open your word this morning, that you would speak to us. And Father, as we work through this book of Hebrews, this great sermon preached long ago, we pray that it is as it is exposited this morning, That we would see the great chief shepherd more clearly, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that we pray this morning. Amen i take just a moment and welcome you. My name is Josh McLean. I'm one of the pastors here, and generally it's my privilege to open God's word for you. And it is my duty this morning as well. But before we jump into it, I want to dismiss a few of our, our friends. And so if you're in Hubtown Kids this morning, I'm going to ask you to come on forward, and, and you can head out to either my left or my right. To my left, you'll be learning about the man who didn't have any friends. Some of you know that experience, and perhaps you're thinking that story's about you. It's not. It's about our man, our little friend, Zacchaeus, that wee little man who climbed up into a tree, right? Uh, so if you're in uh, Blue Station, you're going to head to my left and you'll be learning about Zacchaeus. And if you're heading to my right, your are left, you're going to be learning of the answer to this question. Last week we, we asked a difficult question. What is left essentially for those who have not repented of their sin, who are far from God? And the reality is... Their future is an eternity separated from God in a place called hell. As difficult as that is, it doesn't end there. That's part of the gospel. That's part of the good news. But the other part is this. How can we be saved? Is there any hope? And the reality is only by faith in Jesus Christ and in his substitutionary atoning death on the cross. That's the only way that we can be saved. And what joy that our children will learn this Portion of that good news, that gospel. This morning we're going to be looking as uh, as the main group here at the last half of Hebrews chapter three. And so, if you have your copy of God's Word, I want to invite you to turn there. If you didn't bring a copy, that's fine. You're welcome to follow along on the screen. you can also read along in the Black Hardback Bible in front of you. Uh, We're going to be looking at page uh, 1188 and 1189 in the Black Hardback Bible in front of you. Feel free to use that. I want to kind of just get a recap of what's taken place so far in the book of Hebrews. Chapter 3 specifically. We won't go back to the beginning. But so far we've understood this main idea. Endurance comes from considering Jesus... Our faithful apostle and high priest. It's the theme of this chapter, faithfulness, endurance. And how do we become faithful? How is faithfulness working itself out in our lives? It it happens when we consider Jesus, who is our faithful apostle and high priest. And last week, I gave you two of five facts concerning faithfulness. The first one was this, that faithfulness to Christ assures salvation. Faithfulness to Christ assures salvation. It doesn't secure salvation, but it does assure us of our salvation. It gives us evidence that we truly are being saved if we persevere, if we continue to be faithful. And the second thing we looked at was that focusing on Christ encourages faithfulness. Focusing on Christ encourages faithfulness. And that's the entire point of Hebrews. If it were to be boiled down into one statement, what, what is the book of Hebrews? It is a long look at Jesus. It's a long focus and meditation on Jesus. Faithfulness of Jesus faithfulness to the Father and faithfulness to us was both magnified by the life of Moses. Do you remember looking at that last week? We saw this great hero of the faith, Moses. He remained faithful to God. And as he did so, he emulated, he pictured, he foreshadowed the faithfulness of Jesus. That's what we looked at last week. But now what will we see this week? By negative example, we'll see through the sermon here, the end of chapter 3, what faithfulness to God does not look like and what we must work to do to avoid being unfaithful. Or to be said positively, what, what are some other things that we can do to remain faithful? With verse 7, the preacher moves naturally from this positive example to a negative example those unfaithful wanderers who, because of their disobedience, failed God and fell, as the scriptures say, in the desert or in the wilderness. And so without any further ado, let's, let's actually read the text there. Hebrews chapter 3, verses 7 to 19. This is what the scriptures say. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, as in the rebellion... But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ. If indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For those who heard and yet rebelled, or for who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt, led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that he would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? But we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Let's pray together. Father, this is your word, read aloud in our ears, and we pray that you would bless it. Father, we pray that your Holy Spirit would be with us now, that it would be with me. As I attempt from the scriptures to lift up Jesus, we pray that he'd be lifted all the more higher. and We ask this confidently and desperately in the name of Jesus. Amen. If you're taking notes this morning, I want to give you today's main idea. That couples well with last week's main idea. So if you're taking notes, write this down. Faithfulness is the result of God's people collectively remembering his goodness in the past and choosing to trust him in the present. Faithfulness is the result of God's people collectively remembering his goodness in the past And choosing to trust him in the present. This morning, we'll see three principles really lifted straight out of the text, working together to build this main idea. Those three ideas are the last three observations or facts concerning faithfulness. They're simpler this week. Faithfulness, number one, or number three, depending on what list you're adding to. Faithfulness is a choice. That's the first thing we'll see. It's a choice. Two, faithfulness is a fight. It's a fight. And we'll see that not only is it a choice, but it's a fight worth fighting. Three, faithfulness is a team sport. Faithfulness is a team sport. Let's jump right in here, verse 7. It says, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of the testing in the wilderness there were those in the wilderness who when they heard the voice of god they hardened their hearts they were not soft toward the lord their posture towards god was not one of humility of tenderness it was one of pride and harshness in place of being tender to the lord they were angry Often, when we think of angry people, we think of hard people, we think of them as being hardened by their lives, as if they had no control, products of their circumstances. And this is actually not true. The language here that the scriptures use when it speaks of those who have hard hearts towards God is not that their circumstances have made them hard, but that they have chosen, they have chosen, volitionally decided. That they would be angry or hard towards the Lord. In other words, they're not victims. Nobody truly is a victim when it comes to faithfulness. They would have been faithful if only they hadn't experienced these certain things. And in some sense, we've all believed that. But at the other, on the other hand, we know we've seen people that have experienced the exact same thing. Two different people. One would choose to be faithful and the other would not. Truly, it is a choice that we make. Will we be faithful to the Lord or will we not? Will we harden our hearts toward the Lord or will we soften our hearts? I'm reminded of Joshua chapter 24 where that great leader for whom I am named, he called out to his people, he called out to the children of Israel and he said, choose this day who you will serve, whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river, the gods of the Amorites, choose who you will serve. Joshua says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord today and tomorrow. But today we have chosen to serve the Lord, and tomorrow we will choose to serve the Lord. And What did the people say? Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods, for it is the Lord our God who brought us and our fathers from the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery. And who did those great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way that we went and among all the peoples through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out before us all the peoples and the Amorites who lived in the land. Therefore we also will serve the Lord. He is our God. What we see taking place there in Joshua 24 is that they are making a volitional decision. They're capable. They're Seeing the the circumstances and recognizing where they are coming from and hoping where they'll go. And they've said, yes, Joshua, we will choose today to serve the Lord. And while we know the story is Joshua remained faithful and so many of the children of Israel did not, we know that faithfulness is a choice that you make today. Now it's not the only time, but we see it begins today today. We understand that the choice that we make today doesn't necessarily settle it for eternity. But tomorrow's faithfulness begins with today's choice. Do you see that? Yesterday, this room looked a little different. There was an archway and lots of bow ties. There was a beautiful bride and a handsome groom. And they gathered here today to make a promise of their faithfulness. And while the promise that they made yesterday does not necessarily determine the promise that will be fulfilled in 10 years, but the faithfulness that they're asking God for and declaring to one another in the presence of many witnesses began yesterday. They made a choice yesterday. And they'll make a choice today. And for the next 65 years of their lives that they told me that they would like to have together, they'll continue to make that choice. And so today's or tomorrow's faithfulness begins with today's choice. And another little slogan you can write down is to choose, or sorry, to not choose is also to choose. To not choose is to choose. Some of you might say, hey, there's a choice presented before me now and it's blessing or cursing, life and death, God Yahweh, who's done these great works, who's provided for us in himself, redemption. And then there's these other lesser gods, these other lesser idols that I'd like to give my life to. But I'd not like to choose today. I'd like to choose some other time. I'll make the decision tomorrow. I'll make the decision to be faithful to God maybe next Sunday, maybe next life group. Maybe next time I gather with my D group the night before I'll be prepared to do so then. I want you to see something it's a lie from the devil. If you hear the voice of the God to, of God today and you decide to put that choice off, you have already made your choice and that you'll not serve God. So to choose or to not choose rather is in fact to choose. Another idea I want you to think about as we consider this idea that faithfulness is a choice is that faithfulness in small things is faithfulness in big things. Another way to say that would be faithful in small is to be faithful in all. If you're faithful in the little things, you're faithful in the big things. Sometimes we think, well, when, I come to cho- when it comes to choosing and be remaining faithful to God, I'll not be faithful in these little things, but when the big decisions come, I'll be ready to be faithful. Luke chapter 16, the words of Jesus, one who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much, and one who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. If you can't be trusted in the little things, you surely cannot be trusted in the big things. I'm going to ask you a question. Actually, this morning I'd like to ask you lots of questions, five or six to be exact, or to be close. I should, that's not exact. First question, by way of application and introspection, what do you choose when you hear his voice? What do you choose when you hear his voice? Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden it as those in the wilderness. What are you choosing to do this morning? Do you suppress the word of God? In some small way, you say, well, I would never stand and cup my ears with my hands and hum loudly. I would never do that. But in other indirect ways, have you chosen to disregard the voice of God? Today, If you hear his voice right now, if you hear it while I'm speaking, not my voice, but the still small voice of God's Holy Spirit, that person who is with us now, who comes alongside of us, who calls us to repentance and encourages us, when he speaks to you, are you listening? One poet said this. Sow a thought, and you reap an action. Sow an action, and you reap a habit. Sow a habit, and you reap a character. Sow a character, and you reap a destiny. It goes well with what we've been learning about in the book of Hebrews, particularly this chapter. Some would say, but I never chose my destiny. This has just happened to me. But you did. You did choose your destiny. We choose in the small ways. We we choose in our thoughts. We choose in our individual actions. We choose in the habits that we allow to continue in our lives. And we choose as the character is built and as that character fulfills itself in a destiny. What choice are you making today? Maybe you're here this morning and you say, I've been making some pretty terrible choices. When I've heard the voice of God in the past, I've hardened my heart. I can assure you that today is the day of salvation. For years and years, that young man was not married, and today he is. And we pray The decision he made yesterday, that he began to make yesterday, will continue for the rest of his life. And so today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Choose today to serve the Lord. Choose today to be faithful. The passage goes on, though. Don't harden your heart. Make that choice, but specifically, what can we choose to do? We say, well, I want to... Soften my heart towards the Lord. I want to be humble towards him. I want to have two ears to listen. Well, what are we to do? Look at verse 12. It says, Take care, brothers. Lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Take care, brothers. That word take care, that phrase can be actually the the, the root of it is, it's actually to look out for. Kind of means watch out, be on the guard. One of the songs that we sang a moment ago, we sang about the watchman, right? Watchman on the wall. What's the role of a watchman? The role of a watchman is to guard the city. Now he's not necessarily the only one to fight, but he is the first line of defense. How can we fight something that we're not seeing? And so his job is while everybody else is sleeping, while everybody else is doing their own thing, he stands in the heights and he looks out. He looks past the bushes and through the trees toward the horizon. He's looking for the enemy. And then as night falls and the torches are lit, what does he do? He remains vigilant. And now, maybe the day shift takes a break as second shift, uh, second shift, and then eventually third shift comes in. That man, that watchman in the night, he's looking as the torches are lit. He's looking for enemy advancing. All through the night, he's fighting to see in the darkness. He's fighting to stay awake. And that's the idea of take care. All that's packed inside there. Look out, brothers. Watch for the enemy, brothers. The idea is that of what Peter said and of what Jesus said to Peter. Hey, you better watch out. Satan hates you. Satan is wanting to deceive you. He wants to destroy you. Jesus says to Peter, I've prayed for you. I've watched him. I see him. And here's some of the things that he's trying to attack you with. I've been looking out. I've been taking care, and I'm taking care of you, Peter. And then Peter says, hey, be sober, be vigilant. Why? Because our adversary, the devil, he walks about. Why? Why? Why is he walking about? Why is he roaming about the outside edge of the city? Because he wants to devour you. You better take care. You better look out. And so with that in mind, let me offer the second observation of the day, fourth of this entire chapter. Facts concerning faithfulness. Well, Faithfulness is a fight. It's a fight. We fight to stay awake. We fight to see through the darkness to witness and and identify the enemy specifically, where they are and how they're advancing. Faithfulness is a fight. Verse 13 says, but exhort one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. We get a clue there. We're to look out for something. We don't want to be hardened. We don't want want our allegiance to change. We don't want our hearts to be shifted from soft and humble toward the Lord to angry and hardened. How does that take place? Deceitfulness of sin. Deceitfulness of sin. The reality is that the deception that we face is the real danger. We have to listen for the lies that had been foisted upon us by Satan. The book of Numbers, chapter 20, it tells us a story that this psalm that the Hebrew, book of Hebrews, chapter 3, uses, it's referenced from this. This is, this is where it's coming from. Children in the wilderness, not sub, uh, uh, humble before the Lord, with hearts hardened. And they begin to talk. Numbers 20, verses 2 through 5. I want to read it for you. And I want you to just listen. You can even close your eyes. Maybe take notes. I want you to listen to what they say. And by what they say, I want you to try to deduce or figure out what sort of undergar- undergirdied lies are there. So think about this. This is the children of Israel. They're in the wilderness. What are they saying? What are they believing? Now, there was no water for the congregation. And they assembled themselves together against Moses and against Aaron. Now, you're practicing to be a biblical counselor now. You're listening as people talk. You're going to try to hear, what are they believing right now? So listen. And the people quarreled with Moses and said, would that we had perished When our brothers perished before the Lord, why have you brought the assembly of the Lord into this wilderness that we should die here, both we and our cattle? And why have you made us to come up out of Egypt to bring us to this evil place? It is no place for grains or figs or vines or pomegranates, and there is no water To drink. Think about that. What sort of lies are they believing? I could just name a few. They're saying we would be better off dead. Setting the the stage here, what's happened is they were in Egypt. They'd been there for 400 years. They have nothing of themselves. All of their life breath is just being wrung out on the altar of Pharaoh and his hubris. They have no name. They have no protector. And then they were given a promise that God would lead them through Moses into the land that they were to inherit. And that it would be flowing with milk and honey. A euphemism saying you're going to have everything that you need and I'll get you there. That's the promise that they got. But now what do we hear them saying? We would have been better off dead. All of us are going to die. God is not faithful. Egypt was better. Pharaoh was better than God. Maybe they're even saying, I can hear it. God's will is evil. God's will is not good for me. God does not want something that is blessed. He doesn't want blessing for me. Maybe even to the final point there, they're saying God is not good. It's interesting. The psalm that we'll basically end today with is the one that's being quoted heavily in Hebrews 3. That psalm begins with what? God is good. And it's the exact opposite, what I hear, these faint echoes, the undertones of what they're saying, what's really coming from their heart is God is not good. They had become, they had been deceived. What's so challenging about this story is that they saw all of God's marvelous works. This is so puzzling to me, at least it used to be. How could they literally watch the sea be parted and the world's superpower, their army, be swallowed up in that collapse as soon as they walked through on dry land? How could they witness that and then turn and not believe that God is good and that he was for them and that his promises were trustworthy? How could they, how could they get there? Their hearts had become Hardened. Their hearts had become hardened. How? Why? By the deceitfulness of sin. They need to watch out. They needed to look out. And that's why Psalm 95, 100, I think 115. There's so many that basically start with this. You guys got to Remember. God is good. The Lord is good. He's, he's so steadfast and his love is and his faithfulness endures to all generations. Don't forget that. Don't forget. Many of the Psalms are songs about, hey, don't forget what he's done. It all points to the fact that he's good. It supports that. Don't believe this lie. Don't be deceived by sin. Watch out. Look out. I told you I had a couple questions. Five or six to be specific. Second question, the next one. Have you seen any lies creeping toward your city? Think about that right now. Have you seen any lies creeping into your city? Where to look out? What have you seen? Let's, let's communicate. We're all watchmen, watch women. In the night and day, we're looking about what sort of lies do you see creeping in? Scriptures tell us that Satan, as a roaring lion, walks about seeking whom he may devour. It's not just Satan. There are many minions of Satan that parade around and whisper in our ears all sorts of lies. You'd be better off if you were doing this. How can you really believe that God is good if he would say such a thing as that? How can God treat one person this way and not this person the same way? I see a discrepancy. God is not good. What other lies are you believing? What other lies have you been tempted? Here's another question. Have you even been looking? I don't ask that in some sort of a condescending way. But really as a rhetorical way to call you to action exactly what this scripture is telling us to do. We have to take care. We have to look out. Have to. Satan, as a roaring lion, walks about seeking whom he may devour. It's interesting. To be deceived is, by definition, to be unaware that you are being deceived. It's to be unaware that you have imbibed on a, a lie or something that's not true. True. Another reality is that this is a difficult path to walk. Many will fall. As we read in verse 6, we are his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. And verse 14, for we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. It's kind of the idea of the soils in Mark chapter 4. It appears as if they're all good plants but time tells who is faithful and who is not. And so how are you to make it? How are you to remain faithful? We're to choose to be faithful. Deciding today, I will be faithful to the Lord. I'll not humble, I'll not harden my heart. I will keep myself humble as much as is possible. In my own will, I'll choose the Lord. Furthermore, we are to watch out for sinfulness. We're to watch out for deception. We're to be on guard. We're to fight that fight. But it's interesting, that's not enough. It's not enough. Up until this point, our culture generally speaking, would not argue or rebuff anything that's been said. I'm talking about the greater Christian culture. But there's a part of it. And I would argue it's the mainstream idea in our Christian culture that has this idea that you are an island in itself. That the most important thing for you in your life is your relationship with God. And how you feel towards him. What you experience, what you experience when you think of him. What you get out of your scripture reading. What you get out of Sunday morning gatherings. What you get out of fill in the blank. There's this idea that we are to walk and live this life by ourselves. And now we parade around many of us as if we are walking in community, but the reality is many of us are not truly known. And in that way, we fall. The reality is there is not one watchman on the wall. There are many. And that's why verse 13 doesn't end with, or the, this, this, this uh, sermon won't end with, Choose and fight, but exhort one another. Verse 13, but exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. How will you avoid your heart being hardened by the deceitfulness of sin? By the exhortation, the encouragement of those around you. What does it mean to exhort? to strongly encourage, to strongly urge someone to do something. It's passionate. It's vivid exhortation, encouraging, challenging, urging, or urging correcting, drawing along. And who are we to do that to? One another. Who is this? Who are these one another's? They're the brothers and sisters in Christ. That's your church. You say, well, why do you guys take church membership so seriously? Because we should be taking lies so seriously. And we've got to band together. We've got to say, this is our city. This is the safe place. Come into the city. We'll get up on the wall. We'll watch for each other. We'll point out the dangers. We'll call out to one another. And we'll encourage each other. That's what we're doing. That's what today is. We encourage We exhort one another, and wow, how often do we do that? Not on Sundays alone. And maybe you're thinking, well, what about, like, the Chick-fil-A model? Six out of seven, isn't that pretty good? That's pretty good. (laughs) But it's not enough. It's six plus one every day. How often should we be encouraging, exhorting, looking out for one another? Challenging each other. I think you might be believing a lie there. You're, you're in danger. It cannot be regulated or re- relegated to Sundays alone, or life group alone, or D group alone. Every day we are to exhort one another. And that's why number three, point number three, or point number five, to finish it out, faithfulness is a team sport. Faithfulness is a team sport. Are there any golfers here today? Any football players? Man, y'all. None of y'all. Any booger pickers? Oh, they, none of us, huh? Okay, there's one, there's one hand in the back. I see that hand. The difference between golf and football, there's many. They both involve a ball, both are sports, but one requires that you bring some friends along if you want to do any good. One requires that you bring some folks along with you. Why? Because you need that team to beat the other team, right? I want you to think about your life, your involvement with the brothers and sisters, your involvement with the church, your church membership. I want you to think of that as this is a sport and I need everybody to play their position in order for us to remain faithful individually and collectively. We've we've got to be playing as a team. We've got to be exhorting one another. We've got to be encouraging one another. And when, I, when you think of encouragement, I thought I could make a list of all the different ways that we can encourage one another. But instead of doing that, I want to just give you some categories. I want to give you some categories. One category would be, and, I, and, and, and I'm posting two opposites here, direct and indirect. Direct and indirect give you an example. This morning we sang a song. We sang a song about the risen Christ. And the power that we experience as Christians, it's attributed to that risen life of Jesus. And as you sang, each of you that we're singing, whether you sang good or bad, pleasant or unpleasant, each of you were indirectly encouraging and exhorting me. Think about that. Each of you, whether you were on the stage or all the way in the back, we made a joyful noise together. We made a statement together, and indirectly, we encouraged each other. And you may not even know it, but you need to. It's a reality. We are indirectly, when we sing, exhorting the people around us. You're also doing that when you gather. Indirectly, you're exhorting those around you. You're saying, hey, I need to be here. You need to be here. The Word of God is quick and powerful. And as it's exposited, it challenges it, and it encourages and it gives me life and I need to be here. And there's that nonverbal, indirect, hey, this is important. And so there's Indirect ways. But then there's also direct ways that we can do the exact same thing. And by the way, exhortation requires both. Exhortation requires both. I'll give you an example of an indirect exhortation. As opposed to indirect, which would be, hey, Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Oh, sing hallelujah. A direct way would be when we... One-on-one, challenge somebody to remember, sister, Jesus is risen. And that same power that raised Jesus from the grave, he lives in you, sweet sister, and he is empowering you right now to forgive that person who has sinned against you. Trust it, girl. That's a direct exhortation. Jesus has been raised from the grave. That's impossible, but he did. And that power that raised him from the dead, it's in you, and it's helping you. It's giving you the strength to do all things through Christ who strengthens you. You can forgive, girl. You can repent. You can be healed. You can have hope. That's direct exhortation. So indirect and direct. You need both. You need both. Here's another set of categories. Positive and negative. Positive and negative. And now, in a sense, all exhortation is positive. But in a similar sense, as we discipline our children, and some discipline is corrective and some is just encouragement. Keep it up. And others, encouraging, don't do that again. So there's positive and there's negative. There are times when we exhort in a positive sense, strongly and, uh, and uh, urging someone in a positive reinforcement kind of a way, keep it up. You're doing great. Don't stop. When I was a kid, there was a a lady in our church. She was a sweet saint. And as she would write on at the end of every card, it would say this, keep on keeping on. She was just a Barnabas. She had just encouraged people. I didn't even know what that meant. Now I know what it means. Keep on keeping on. Don't stop believing. But there are times where we are not like Mrs. Conrad in the positive sense, but we have to be a little bit different. There are times where we must strongly exhort each other, one another, in a negative sense. Again, it's positive, but we're not not saying keep it up. We're saying cut it out. We have to come alongside. and, And you say, well, I really like the positive side. Well, that's great. But there are times when we have to do it in a negative way. Brother, you need to stop that. You need to cut that out. Don't you know without holiness, none of us will see the Lord? Stop that. Romans chapter 12. We have an example of both positive and negative reinforcement. The Apostle Paul preaching to those Christians said, What? I appeal to you, brothers. By the mercies of God, that appeal to you really is, a, in a sense, he's saying, I exhort you, I strongly urge you. It's the same root word. By the mercies of God, to positive, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Good job, guys. You're doing that. Continue presenting your bodies as a sacrifice to God. But he doesn't stop there. He says, now stop doing this, though. Do not be conformed to this world, he says. Do not be conformed to this world. Some of you, if we were to just spread that out a little bit and draw it out, he's saying some of you are being conformed to the world. You're not being conformed to God, and you need to stop it. Your life is being pressed into the culture of this world, to the cares of this world, to the desires of this world, to the lies of Satan, you need to cut that out. You need to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We like to be positive. I like to be the good guy. In a sense, I want my kids to think I'm their friend, but at the end of the day, I'm a watchman. At the end of the day, I can call out good things, but I have to call out the bad things. We do all of that gently and firmly, though. That's the last two categories of exhortation, this idea that we have, a, have to play as a team. We have to look out for one another. We have to block for each other. We have to defend and run together with each other. And we do so. We exhort each other gently and firmly. And sometimes it's gently, it seems, and sometimes it's firmly. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 11-14. through 14. The Apostle Paul is encouraging the, ch- the Christians there in Thessalonica. He says, therefore... Encourage one another, same idea, same word. Exhort one another and build one another up just as you are doing. He goes on to say in verse 12, We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. And then he goes on to say, Be at peace amongst yourselves and we urge you, same word, brothers. Admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. You see what he's saying here. Verse 14. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, but be patient with them all. What's the idea? There are times in our lives where we don't need to be encouraged in some positive sense. We need somebody to give us a swift, swift kick in the rear end, right? We've been idle. We need to be admonished. And we do so, we need it to be done firmly. But there are other times that we have to be gentle with each other and patient, considering where they're at, considering what they've been through, and we are patient with them. But at the same time, we encourage them. What's the point of all of these things, both admonishing someone and encouraging somebody The point is to build them up. Now you might say, well, is all building up positive? No, it's not. There's a time when your house, the lot that your house is built on, didn't look like it did. The foundation needed to be cleared, or at least the area for it. Rocks that were in the way needed to be removed. Trees and bushes and tall grass had to be taken away, levels of dirt excavated out and hauled off. There's removing things and then there's the adding of things, both of them absolutely necessary for the edifying, for the building up of that person or that building. And I want to ask you, as we consider this text this morning, this idea that we are on a team, and this is a team sport, if we're to put, put it such, in such a way, I want to ask you, do you exhort? Again, none of the questions that we've asked this morning, we've asked our own heart, none of, the, none of these questions are in any way condemning. But let me ask you, do you exhort, directly, indirectly, positively, negatively, gently or firmly any of these ways are you making a practice of encouraging strongly urging people around you to remain faithful to Jesus maybe a long uh, as a just a, another question but under that question do you exhort how important do you see yourself when it comes to the faithfulness of your brothers and sisters how important do you see yourself your life Your actions, how integral is it to the faithfulness of others? Do you see that at all? Do you exhort? One of the lies of this age is the emphasis on the individual aspect of your spiritual life. It's an overemphasis. Part of the deceitfulness of sin that hardens our hearts is the sneaky thought that we don't need anything from anyone else. Between me and God. The reality is that's a lie. And as one of the watchmen, I'm pointing that out. And I'm saying if I'm not careful and if you're not careful, we'll all be overcome by that lie. And so I admonish you this morning, you need your brothers and sisters. And more importantly, they need you. What do do you miss when you don't attend life group? What do you miss when you don't attend services on Sunday morning gatherings? It's a good question, but it's the wrong question. Let me me give you another more important one. Brother or sister, what do they miss? What does your neighbor, your fellow church member miss when you do not exhort them daily? When you do not exhort them weekly, what do they miss? We've got to exhort one another We've got to consider these categories. We've got to consider the great need and the great danger that we all face. As we continue to ask ourselves questions, let me ask you this final question. And this is a big one. Are you exhortable? Are you exhortable? Many times I've spoken with people and they say, I just wish somebody would have warned me. My life's a mess. I don't know how this has happened. My, in a sense, my heart is hardened towards God. How could this have happened? Why? How could my family have let me down? How could my church have let me down? And so often I want to ask gently, brother, sister, were you exhortable? How did they perceive you would welcome an encouragement a correction let me ask you another question underneath this idea are you exhortable when is the last time someone approached you about a weakness in your life none of us here would say I have no weaknesses I have no areas of areas that I need growth every single one of us as a member of our church we say collectively all the time we are in well not all of us are saying it together How about again? Redemption here. We'll we'll edit this out. We are in? All of us. We're all in process. We're saying we all have areas that we can grow. We all have areas that we're weak, that we need to be admonished and encouraged. And so let me ask you this. If, If people aren't doing it, it's generally one of two reasons. One, they're just not a good exhorter they've abdicated their responsibilities toward you and their church, or maybe it's a combination of this other one, they just don't perceive that you'll welcome their exhortation. Are you exhortable? Do people perceive that you have a sense of humility, that you truly embody this idea that you are also in process and that you also can, can grow Let me ask you another way in this idea, are you exhortable? What does it say about you if people do not actually exhort you? What does that say? Maybe you say, well, people do exhort me. People do come up and encourage me and correct me in in all the ways. Well, let me ask you this. How do you respond? How do you respond? Do Do you respond humbly? Or does it look more like the children of Israel in the wilderness with a hardness of heart? Which one is it? I'm going to warn you, as I warn myself, that we see right in the Scriptures, some of us, we want victory over sin. We want hope to be found in our lives. We want to remain faithful to the end. Some of us will find it and others won't. And what this passage is telling us is this. There's a great difference between those two types of people, and I'll illustrate it. There's two men, and I use men because you'll see why. They each had the same symptoms. Both are having the same difficulties in their health. The first goes to the doctor. I should probably go to the doctor. Why is he there? Because his wife has exhorted him to go to the doctor. And so he goes to the doctor, and when the doctor says, why have you made this appointment? Why are you here? He responds with a vague answer. Well, I just thought it would be good to come and see my doctor. Okay? He doesn't list out his symptoms. He does not voice his concerns. He hopes, in a sense, that by being around the doctors, that by being around the nurses, that he will suddenly become well. But the reality is, if he does not voice his concerns, if he does not draw their attention to his difficulties, he will go unhelped. The second man, again, at the prodding of his wife, and because of the same symptoms that the first man had, he goes to the doctor. And when the doctor asks him, him, What is the reason for your visit? he responds with a list of concerns and symptoms replies with a request for help and what do you suppose the second man the second man is able to find this little parable here is a story of our church there are some in this church who will come to the doctor in a sense they'll come to this hospital but they won't ever truly reveal the things that they're facing And they think that by being here in this, in a sense, hospital around so many other doctors and nurses that they'll suddenly become well. But they never truly allow what they're facing to be known. And only when their symptoms have become so great and so dire is it revealed. And at that point it might be too late. The other of us, which are you, the other of us are striving to walk in genuine sincerity and openness. Trying to embody this idea that we are truly all in process. When it's appropriate, not hiding the symptoms, not hiding the struggles or the troubles that we face. But when appropriate, again, bringing those to the attention of those who are walking with us. And it's those, brothers and sisters, it's those that will find help. It's those that will find help. I want to end with reading Psalm 95. What does the scripture say? Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. I love this. Team sport. Let us sing together to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For God is great. He's a great king above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth and the heights of the mountain. They're his also. The sea is his is for he made it. And his hands formed the dry land. Oh, come, let us worship him together. And let us bow down and kneel before our Lord, our maker. For he is our God and we are his people. The people of his pasture. And we are the sheep of his hand. Because of that, he says, today if you hear his voice... Do not harden your hearts. As at Meribah, as on the day at Massa in the wilderness, when your fathers put me to the test and put me to proof that though they had seen my work, for forty years I loathed that generation and said, They are a people who go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. Therefore I swore in my wrath, They shall not enter my rest. Psalm 95 it's a reminder. Hey, Not everyone makes it, but those who remember the Lord, what he's done in the past, those who collectively recount those things and remember them together, remember his goodness in the past, and collectively choose to trust him in the present, those are the faithful ones. That's the idea of Psalm 95. And again, that's the idea of communion. That's the point of communion. Brothers and sisters, listen. Listen. <clears throat> you might think this is just an odd thing that the church does and they've done it for a while and so they just keep doing it. That's not true. It's, it's true in part but it's not, that's not why we do this. We take communion as a remembrance of what the Father has done in Jesus in the past. And we do it as a declaration today that we are choosing him in the present. We're looking back to what he's done in the past together. You can't take communion by yourself. You understand that. You cannot take Communion by yourself. If you happen to find a little cup with a wafer sealed in the top of it and you think, I'll take communion today. No, you've just eaten a a nasty snack. It doesn't even taste good. (laughs) There's so many other choices. Communion is a collective remembrance. It's the table is set before us. We come together and we receive and are reminded of what the Father has done for us in Jesus in the past. And we declare together... In this action that we are trusting him in the present, that's why we take communion. If you're not a Christian this morning, you're not trusting in him, then don't, please, don't, don't, there's, no, there's nothing for you in doing this. It's a declaration of what where your heart's at. You're trusting God, what, he done, what he's done in the past and what he'll do for you now and into the future. So if that's not you, don't feel any pressure to participate in communion. We won't judge you. In fact, if you're not a Christian, we ask that you just, that you just wait until you're ready to declare with us in community that you too are trusting in Jesus with the collective church. If you're visiting with us this morning and you've been baptized, you're a part of a like-minded gospel-preaching Christian church, then we welcome you to partake with us, to join in with us. But if you're not, again, we ask that you wait. As we come to the table, I want you to do a couple things they are alliterated. Three R's. I want you to first, we say, well, what's appropriate to do right now? We're going to have a moment of time. The, the music's going to play in just a second. And what, what, are we, what are you to do? Well, first, I want you to remember what God has done for you. I want you to remember what God has done for you. Remember our faithful apostle, faithful high priest. What has Jesus accomplished for you? That's what this is about. So take a moment and think about that. Allow the cross of Christ in the empty tomb to stir your heart with love and affection and joy and hope. Remember, Second, reconcile. Reconcile. This this meal is not about you. It's not about whether you think the cracker tastes good and the juice is enough. We're coming together in unity. And so maybe there's somebody here that you need to reconcile with. I want to challenge you. Do not, I'm exhorting you, do not participate in this meal if there is something in your heart against somebody else. If your fellowship is broken with somebody else spiritually, this symbol is not to be partaken of. You say, well, it'd be really weird if I got up and reconciled with somebody right now. It would not be weird. That's what you do in a hospital. Things that are broken are fixed. Health, hopefully, is realized there. That's why we're here. So recognize with those with whom your fellowship is broken. Third, repent. Repent of your turning away. Psalm 95 says that God is faithful. When we say that, we are also recognizing, hey, we're not faithful. So where haven't you been? Again, this isn't about condemnation, but this is about remembering what Jesus has done. And in, as we remember, we, we turn away from our sins, the lies that we've been believing, the lies that we've been telling. We repent of those things. We turn from them we call them what they are. And so for just a moment here, remember what God has done for you. Reconcile with those with whom your fellowship is broken. Finally, repent of your turning away. Repent. Go ahead and do that. As I often do, I'm going to leave us this section with this benediction from Jude 24-25. It's not just a fancy statement that we make, but it's packed with truth and a powerful reality. Verse 24. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. That's the reality. Let's pray. Father, what what joy that we have together to come to this table, a table that you have prepared for us. Father we want to be faithful. Father help us to choose faithfulness. Help us to choose you today. Father we can't make a decision for tomorrow. We can't make a decision for a year from now. We can choose today. So Father, we've heard your voice, and we pray that our hearts would not be hardened. We choose today to follow you. Father, help us to fight. Help us to fight the lies of Satan. Help us to challenge the things in our lives It would cause us to be deceived and to have our hearts hardened. Father, finally, would you help us to fight together? Father, help us to fight together. Father, we're going to do that right now. We pray that you would use this song as we sing it together in unison, not as a a one-man show, a solo, or even a choir. Father, would every one of us join together And sing loudly of this great truth that our God is good and his grace extends to us today. It's true and it will lead us to faithfulness. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.